Hello, and welcome to Mirrorly. I'm Kate Gray Johnson. And I'm Brie Keim. And this is a podcast where we talk about body image using our own personal stories to reflect on the lies that we believe about ourselves, our bodies, and each other. Welcome back to another episode of Merely, our last episode. We are so thankful for everyone who has been listening, and we hope that you have enjoyed, I don't know if that's a good word, but enjoyed (laughs) going through this um, and hearing our conversations. I've enjoyed doing it. Me too. Today we're going to It's just a continuation on from what we've been talking about before, but Kate and I have shared our own personal experiences in the previous two episodes, and today we're going to continue on into what happened when we ended our eating disorders, but they didn't necessarily just come to a full stop. It's true. Uh... Even when you stop living out those actions, sometimes that mentality just lives on and it's hard to break down. So yeah, we'll talk about that and our experience processing in the aftermath. The aftermath. That's a good word for it. Yeah, that is a good word for it. But we'll also just kind of touch on how that experience changed the way we looked at food and body image and exercise and diet culture and all those things for the better because it wasn't all bad you know this is a hopeful episode yeah and i guess we'll just dive in let's do it so brie Kime. kate gray johnson yeah that's me tell me a little bit about afterwards i know for me when i stopped life didn't change dramatically but i definitely I definitely was like, okay, now that's in the past, mm-hmm. was kind of my immediate reaction. I think I still struggled with um, uh, overeating. Like there was still a temptation or a habit to mm-hmm. binge, but I don't know. I think I just went back to where I started in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I Well, it's kind of funny it's not funny but hilarious yeah because I think I had this same thought when I decided oh okay this isn't good I can't keep doing this there was a part of me that was like well I guess if I just start eating semi-normally then I'll be fine and I I was wondering I was curious because for me the the quote-unquote end is I'm just going to stop puking. (laughs) Like, that's the end of bulimia. Don't go to the toilet to barf up what you just ate. So I feel like I had some bad eating habits or just some weird ways of thinking about things before all this. And the end of bulimia was just kind of resetting back to that start in some ways for me. But for you, since... I mean, neither. I wouldn't say one is more dramatic than the other, mm-hmm. but how I feel like it's a bigger transition in some ways to start eating again than it is to stop purging. Yeah. Because your body isn't used to 
eating a full day's calories, so it must also feel kind of physically weird. Yeah, I definitely had some physical repercussions um, when I started. And I should say that I didn't just start eating normally. And I'll get more into this later, but there's for sure a fair amount of time that passed before I could break some of the some of the ideas that I had around what I could and couldn't eat so I did start eating more I definitely didn't just go from like nothing to a full day's calories and it definitely was a, a slow process to get back into that but I thought that I could just do it and jump right in there and I couldn't and that was frustrating, but yes, in answer to your question, I had a lot of digestive problems, and that's something that I have had, I had had previously, but these ones were particular to having my body be not used to eating. Um, it's funny that you talk about you still had to break some of the ideas, because I remember this was maybe over, it wasn't that long ago where you were telling me you followed this Instagram account called like no food rules or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And, and I remember I had never heard that phrase before food rules. So you still had food rules. Yeah. And you still had can and can nots. And I remember when obviously like in my situation, I didn't have food rules in the, that same way. But I had rules for when was okay to eat, how much was okay to eat, what... I almost just kind of tried on all these different hats of how to eat. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did before bulimia. I mean, we already talked about how when I made that choice, it was kind of a last-ditch effort. I felt like there was no other option. And that's because I had tried on so many different like dieting hats and different sets of food rules or different sets of rules around how to eat. Yeah. So when I reset, I similarly had this idea about, it wasn't like end of bulimia, stop puking and I feel great about myself or I feel ready to start thinking well of myself. Mm-hmm. The lies that broke down didn't necessarily change how I felt about my appearance, I still wanted to be thinner. And it's like, well, I guess I'll just go back to where I was before, which is kind of where it feels like everybody is in this figuring out what diet works for you and trying on the different things. And I went back to that and I would never have thought to put it as food rules. It was definitely still different kinds of diets. I remember when you told me about that account and we weren't having some like deep conversation about <laughs> diet and diet culture. It was just kind of a conversation in passing. But I remember at that time, I was trying out intermittent fasting because that's a big mm-hmm. fad right now. Um, I mean, it's been around, but you know, it was just yeah. one of the things that hit the zeitgeist here in LA within the past couple of years. And when you said that, when you mentioned food rules and how it took you a really long time to break down those rules you would set for yourself and just even recognize them as imaginary constructs. I had this realization in that moment 
that my fasting was that. It was kind of an echo of an eating disorder for me. I'm not saying fasting is bad or that everybody who's doing it is struggling with disordered eating. But for me, that was an echo of that mentality. It was a vestige of that way of thinking. Yeah. And I stopped because I was just like, oh, this is not any different. And what was funny about realizing that all those years later, because I had broken down so many of those things by then, I realized immediately that because it was an echo of that way of thinking, that it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Not that fasting doesn't work, but that this was not going to work for me because this was attached to a way of seeing myself that was never going to result in what I wanted it to result in. Yeah. Those moments are the things that feel like you have some kind of victory and like coming off the tail end of having an eating disorder because it's so hard to get out of that mentality. And just when you said right then, I realized that this or like that that for you was based off of your old pattern of thinking and your old mentality. And then you so easily right now just said, so I stopped. And that seems like, okay, great, cool. But it's so hard to get to a place where you can recognize it and then just go, oh, I can't do that because I don't want to go back to where I was. Yeah. And I I will also say, obviously, I jumped ahead a little bit. That was one of the last pieces of baggage in a whole stack. So I guess maybe I definitely didn't realize there was all that baggage when I stopped. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of went about my merry way for a good long time. Did you have any kind Uh of recognition in the immediate aftermath that oh this is baggage from this or oh this is no I don't think I I don't think I did either I didn't have any immediate recognition of what the feelings I had were but like you said just because you stop the action of an eating disorder no matter what it is that doesn't stop the mentality that you have and so What did that mentality look like for you? Yeah, I think I still, I mean, I still felt like super bad about myself. I felt like trash. I felt what my view of myself was so low and, and I still struggled to believe that people would like me for who I was and believe that I was good enough to be a person (laughs) and I didn't relate that to having an eating disorder like felt like something that was separate from those thoughts in some weird way even though that looking back on that now do you have any perspective of why that was yeah a bit I don't know I don't know fully how all of that works but for me personally I just thought that being smaller 
would make me more likable and would make me happier and all of the other things that were going on in my head that led me to do that I knew they were there but I didn't really have the um what's the word I couldn't I couldn't make the connection between those two things like when I had an eating disorder I wasn't just like I feel bad about myself. I think people don't like me. I think if I was thinner, then people would like me. I didn't have the... That's not how I processed it. It was just in the moment. These decisions that I was making because I already felt... I already felt so worthless that I couldn't put into words or fully process what I was feeling or me having an eating disorder was just, not just, but was part of a really unhealthy way that I got rid of those feelings. How do I put this well? We were talking the other day, completely unrelated to this topic, about wanting something and whether you want it more than someone else, mm. and whether that makes you more worthy of receiving it. It's kind of a, a more frivolous way of saying what we were saying, but um, you're an actor. We were. I think I asked you, because you're very into comedy and you'd like to be involved in more comedy, if you would ever want to be on SNL, right? And I think, you know, you gave your answer hemmed and hot a, a little bit about things and then the following day you kind of were like I, I think I would feel bad about being on SNL because there are other people who want it much more if I got that I would feel like essentially maybe you shouldn't have gotten it because yeah. other people want it more and then we were talking about something completely separate and just talking about that mentality of does wanting it more make you worthy of having it I think in that similar kind of way because I think a lot of us feel that way right I want this but this other person wants it more than me so if I got it I would feel guilty they deserve it more because they want it more which is not true and life yeah, just kind of happens but I think in some ways I felt that way about how my appearance connected to who I was being open and being fully myself, having that attention, essentially doing anything that I perceived would draw attention to me was okay if I was pretty, but to draw attention to yourself if you were not attractive was a similar yeah. thing. You're not quite worthy of it. So I think I, and I think I always felt a little confused and or uncomfortable when people who, and I think, I think a lot of people feel this way, you know, that person running the marathon doesn't look like an athlete then you're just like what are they doing here you're both impressed and kind of your your darker self is a little bit like that doesn't make sense to me yeah yeah I do get what you're saying now yeah I have a story that like kind of relates to this that I'll share and we can decide later if we want it in or not but it just reminds me of this time not, I'm not going to 
get all actory because this took place in an acting class, but we were talking about, I might have shared this with you before, we were talking about body movement and how to use our bodies to portray characters and how to, you know, just how, but a lot of the class was just exploring different ways that you can move your body, which sounds uncomfortable, and it was. And, <laughs> and um, it was. And, and I hated it. And one morning, we're sitting in class and just talking about the past few classes that we had been doing. And and I was so worked up and emotional because this was this was consecutive days. So... I was so worked up and emotional from the past few days because I was so stressed about this class. It just made me so uncomfortable and and I didn't even know why. I was just so beyond overwhelmed by it. And we were talking, the teacher was talking, I wasn't really listening to what she was saying. And then I clicked in at a moment where she said, she was talking about ways that we use our body and the, to show things. And she said, you know, and she kind of curled up her whole body, kind of put, brought her knees into her chest and said, if we're feeling small or we're feeling afraid or sad or vulnerable, we tend to close ourselves up like this and gave an example and then looks directly across the room at me and says, oh, kind of like what Bree's doing. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was, I, I didn't know how to respond. And, and it wasn't, she wasn't being mean or malicious in any way. She just was pointing out something that I was literally doing in the moment. And I kind of, I didn't really respond to her. And she, she went on with talking, and at the end of class, I went up to her, and I kind of felt like I was trying to explain myself, mm-hmm. and I said, I just, I don't know if I completely understand what you're saying, because the reason that I hold myself the way I do, the reason I, I sit like I do, because I especially then used to tend to sit kind of more curled up. Sometimes I still do, but I was like, it's just more comfortable for me. So I don't really know if I relate with what you're saying. I just find it more comfortable to be in that position. And her response, she just kind of tossed it out in a very flippant way. And she's like, yeah, well, it makes sense that you would feel that way if you don't want people to see you. And I was shook okay I I it was this she to her it was so normal and so obvious and to me I had literally never been able to see that that's what was happening before because what she said that's not true for everyone I'm sure but that to me was so true that the reason like I it was this moment of epiphany where I realized that I tried still and and this sorry I should have prefaced with this was a a few years after having an eating disorder but I still 
tried to make myself as small as I possibly could. I didn't want to take up any space and I because I just thought I just don't want people to see me because then I like I'm safe. I don't have to worry about anything because I don't I'm not noticeable, you know, and being not noticeable is less scary than being noticed in some weird way, even though we all kind of want to be noticed. But anyways, so to relate back to what you're saying, I feel like that is such a big thing that we don't even know all the time of not feeling like we're worth being seen. Or that being seen exposes something about us. Yeah. I feel like that was almost more of it than not being seen. I feel like I would shut down and close myself off as a person because of how I didn't want who I was to be paired with how I looked. Yeah. And those two things to be judged, I guess. Yeah. Those two things together. I felt like most of my life that and I think this connects with what you were saying even then, like, your body betrayed you. It kind of gave away what was happening on the inside. Yeah. And I was, and still am to a certain extent, very good at disconnecting the two, so you don't know what's happening on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I also have done some acting classes and... That's been like one of the biggest hangups, one of the biggest things that has to be broken down mm-hmm. in me when I approach acting because that doesn't work. You can't you can't disconnect the <laughs> two and then go act. Yeah. Like you kind of have to bridge that gap. Yeah. We don't really need to break down some kind of timeline of our experience post eating disorder, but I think it's pretty fair to say we were both surprised by what that aftermath looked like. Yeah. And that in my experience, I was very distinctly surprised that the mentality didn't go away. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I kind of reset to where I was before it. And so I thought that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really expect any different, you know? I didn't stop purging and be like, now I'm going to grow as a human. I, I just felt like where I started was fine which is crazy to say out loud that sounds very irrational to think that where I started was fine I think I thought of my eating disorder as a detour versus part of the route Mm. so going back was just going back to center not not going back to a bad way of thinking Mm -hmm. did can you share a little bit about what your personal mentality was like what does that mean to you um I think the reset for me was going back to I still want to lose weight but I'm not going to do it in a bad way Mm. I'm going to go back to pursuing this goal the right way the air quotes right way Mm -hmm. uh, which is trying diets or trying reducing my intake of this or that or you know it's kind of going back to food rules yeah yeah, that. I wonder how many people experience that. I feel like it is a majority, most likely. 
that experience, okay, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to have an eating disorder. I'm not going to do these actions anymore, but I'm still going to try to maintain or lose the weight that I want to or currently have. Well, it's that weird crossover, right? Because like we've said before, losing weight and like dieting in and of itself are not bad things. Mm -hmm. And that's true. So I think I just kind of embraced that that's true and didn't recognize that I had a way of thinking about myself and my own body that was actually the root cause of the problem and the root cause of why I was dieting. And I think for me, resetting to that diet mentality, I still didn't see that there was a deeper problem. And <laughs> what just happened? Well, I think if I was listening to this, I just had a realization that I think if I was listening to this and someone who had had an eating disorder said, I didn't realize there was a deeper problem, they'd be like, you have no perspective. That's crazy. And might in turn have this false sense of security. <laughs> that sounds very critical of me, but I just, I'm just putting that out there that, that, that um, losing perspective is easy. Mm -hmm. for all of us. This is something I've learned, and not even necessarily from this experience, but just in life. I think I used to think making really big mistakes, you had to go over this big hump to make that mistake. But really, it's as easy as just kind of sh accidentally stepping over a line. Making a big mistake is much quieter than we think of it. When I was a kid, I used to think that making a big mistake or what I perceived as a very large mistake, you know, like, do the drugs or don't do the drugs kind of thing, I thought it would, would be this big, dramatic event to make that choice. And half the time, some of our biggest mistakes almost feel like accidents. Yeah. And so... I just, I, ha I had that little moment because I think my saying that, that I didn't realize that the root issue wasn't actually the eating disorder, that it was something else behind that, that sounds obvious maybe. It sounds obvious when I say it out loud to myself, but it did not feel obvious at all at that time. Yeah. And so going back to dieting, going back to A, B, or C thing, felt like I had made the healthy choice, felt like I had gone back to center. And I the truth is I was never at center. Yeah. The process of personal healing over those years, I think first started with just realizing that the mentality hadn't gone away. And I don't think I realized the mentality hadn't gone away till a few years later. Because hmm. I just went back to normal, but normal eventually got very heavy. Yeah. You know, I had told one of my friends, was the first person I told, and it was maybe a year or not quite a year after that. So I felt safe in telling her because I had already gotten it under control. 
So I told her and that made it easier to tell other people. Eventually I told most of my close friends in very casual ways even, not even like, I need to sit down and admit something to you. You know, it became yeah. very easy to just be like, meh. And most people don't really know what to do with that anyways. You know, they don't want to over-dramatize. They're trying to like discern how you feel about it at this point. Yeah. But I hadn't told my parents and specifically had a thought, I will never tell my mom because she had had that experience too. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell her because I thought it would hurt her in a way that it didn't quite hurt anybody else who loved me who I told. Yeah. You know, because she would have had this firsthand experience of what that felt like. Whereas other people maybe would feel sad to hear that, but it just wouldn't be quite as personal. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming home one night and there were several things in my life that I was frustrated about and struggling with. And body image was one of them and I was still aware of that. I might have lacked some perspective, but I still was aware that I wanted to be thinner and that was hard to like be struggling with not getting there, yeah. trying and not getting there. And I came home one night and nobody else was home and I just I just laid out on the couch and started bawling uncontrollably. And I didn't know completely where it came from. And I was going through that checklist of those other things that were, that I was working through or frustrated with in life. And I ranked them. I'm like, it would most likely be this thing that I'm upset about, then this thing, then this thing. And body image was third on the list. Mm -hmm. That's not the thing. That wouldn't be uh, the top tier thing I thought would be the state of my career, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, frustrated with that wall, which obviously at this point we know those two things are a little tangled up together and when I started processing where these feelings were actually coming from I realized it was the body image thing which was the last on the list of what I thought would be causing such a reaction and in that moment I realized I needed to tell my mom not because I just needed to tell her not because of any kind of guilt thing but because I needed to ask someone who had been through that experience if this mentality ever went away, because that was the moment I realized I stopped doing the thing, but I still felt and thought the same way that I had. Mm -hmm. And it took three years of, I'm saying three years, and that's like a loose interpretation. I don't remember the specific amount of time that had passed. It was probably somewhere around there. I just, I realized in that moment, I was like, whoa, that didn't go away these other aspects of this didn't go away. It was a shock to me. I think I truly believed at the time and for a while after that when I stopped being bulimic, I'd stop being bulimic. Mm -hmm. They talk about if you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic, even when you stop drinking, even when you're sober. I don't think quite in the same way, but in that space at that time, it was kind of like I was still bulimic, even though <laughs> I wasn't yeah. acting on it, even though I was sober. Yeah. And that was frightening to me. And I, I did tell my mom and she kind of, you know, gave me some advice that was really helpful. And I don't tell that story for the sake of the conversation I had with my mom, more for the sake of recognizing that 
that was something I didn't expect. That was something nobody ever told me in the high school classes where they're like, don't have an eating disorder. It's bad for you. Yeah, I, that was a big, a big moment to realize that. Yeah. I don't think I had an experience where I realized the mentality, like or a moment when I realized the mentality was still there, but more so with what you're saying about going back to what you perceived as normal. I feel like I probably did the same thing. Um, one of the biggest things was that, um, and, and this might be specific to anorexia, I'm really not sure, but like being afraid of food and mm-hmm. feeling, I know feeling guilt is, is in all of any kind of disordered eating and feeling guilt is there. So that remained, you know, I started eating again, but I didn't stop feeling guilty about eating. And, and the bigger thing that I wasn't expecting was I didn't stop feeling afraid before and after I ate food. That was still, it. so yeah, exactly what you're saying of, I wasn't doing the physical action of being anorexic and not eating and over-exercising, but it was still deeply affecting, like I was still mentally anorexic. It still took the joy out of social situations that had food. It still... I didn't know how to, I was going to say, I didn't know how to be a person around food. (laughs) There's still such a deep fear. I think sometimes I struggled to recognize as fear in feeling anxious, almost a little bit panicky when I would eat a meal thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder... What, what is this going to do to my weight? What is this going to do? You know, it was just this, these really anxious thoughts that felt like a never ending circle of what will this do? What if, what if, what if? And was there something that broke that down other than time? Or was it just riding out those feelings and pushing ahead and eating? Definitely time. And also pushing through those feelings, which that's the thing that I did want to say is that in the beginning, pushing through those feelings did not always happen. There, there was still some times in coming out, especially in the first few months, maybe even the first year where I would get so afraid that, or so I would be so anxious that I had just eaten this thing or that I knew that I was going to have to like go out to eat with someone that I would kind of just shut down and, and freeze up a little bit and, and not eat for, you know, and skip a meal or something and then have to do that. Okay, wait, no, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. I have to eat, you know, and it was, it was terrifying. And, And that sounds weird, but it was so, it was so scary to me to let go completely of those habits because those habits were your security blanket. Exactly. Yeah, doing all of those things 
that didn't seem like an eating disorder, like trying out diets and and the the quote unquote, as you said, normal things, the things that are normalized. Those were things that I was taking just because they made me feel safe. And they they put rules. I didn't I didn't actively seek out rules around eating, but they put rules and guidelines around food that made me feel comfortable eating. Yeah, if that makes sense. I relate to you in they did I did still try other things and still had rules in place like can't eat past 8 p.m. and you know I wonder how those changes came on for you because I think like I was saying with my experience that realization that the mentality was still there and that that was actually a real thing Mm -hmm. that had been at the root of all this it wasn't just the doing of that reared its head because for who I am and stuffing those feelings and or just being like sure but that's not significant and moving on I think sometimes I look at an emotion I have and I go sure but that's just me being irrational or that's just like that's not rooted in anything real and not acknowledging that the feeling is real mm-hmm. and the feeling is still significant even if the reason for it, it doesn't line up with what I believe to be significant I have mentioned I have PKU and I have annual checkups with a doctor who specializes in that. And as a kid, I struggled with keeping my levels down. And as an adult, I got better at it. But usually those those um, checkups would result in the same conversation over and over again. Uh, if you're going to get pregnant, your your levels, I wasn't trying to get pregnant, but it's just like a significant thing your levels would have to be lower than this. Um, You need to take tests more often. Kind of a like a talking to Mm -hmm. (laughs) annually about how to manage that. And I remember it was after I kind of realized that mentality had come up, but not directly after. I went to my doctor one day and he was giving me kind of the routine talking to about making that change. And I kind of broke down crying which again if you haven't gathered by now is not my go-to state in front of people I don't know but I I started crying and I think in the middle of that breakdown I had a realization I was that I had always felt at war with my body and I told them I started telling them that I had been bulimic And then I started explaining to them, it's just like food had always been an enemy and I was tired of dealing with that. And my body had always been betraying me (laughs) and I couldn't, I essentially just told them what had been going on, but I brought those two things together in a way that I don't think I even realized before that moment. It was that overwhelming sense of, I can't carry this burden anymore. I just can't, that brought that understanding to me. I can't, and I think I've expressed this to you, but this is the moment that I really realized this, is that I was like, I can't ever get away 
from thinking about food all the time. But I also can't handle thinking about food all the time anymore. Yeah. My, I'm at war with my body. I'm at war with food. I don't know how to change that. But I can't live in this battle state anymore. Yeah. So those moments of just not being able to carry those emotions anymore are what propel, I think, at least in the beginning, propelled me forward out of all this. But you're someone who meets your emotions in the moment. So I'm wondering how that manifested for you. Time, I think, is a fair agent of that happening. But it wasn't just a, a pure riding it out until one day you just didn't feel afraid anymore. Yeah, I think... Or I would expect that it wouldn't be just simply that. No. A big part of it for me was processing out loud with people, even if I didn't know all the time where my feelings were coming from or what (laughs) was necessarily going on in my head. Was that people asking you about it? Was that, like, what even brought up these verbal processings? Was it just you being like, hey, I need to talk about this? Or Um, was it seeing something in somebody else and having a conversation about that? One of the biggest regrets I have or things that I wish I would have done differently is that I wish I would have gotten help from a counselor or some other person like whose actual job is to walk people through that because I feel like a lot of the first year of what I would call recovery because I was making a conscious decision to not continue in the pattern that I was doing but that I would say that first whole year I was I didn't know how to do it. I I was stumbling around a lot and I felt very lost because I was trying really hard to not do the thing that I knew that I shouldn't be doing, but I didn't know how to not do it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it for me was just like this cycle of me going in circles, trying to figure out how do I, like I spiraled all the way down and I don't know how to get back up. From where you were standing then to where you're standing now. What do you see that you didn't see before? What kind of things do you hear and you're just kind of like, oh no, no. What do you see now, having had that experience about diet culture, about the way people talk and interact with food and exercise and body image What are some of the things that stand out to you as lies that would have never stood out to you had you not had this experience? I think what strikes me the most about how I see all of those things now is that I find myself constantly surprised by how incredibly surrounded we are as as a society as people it's like we're in a sea of diets and beauty and I think a lot of 
a lot of the things that I thought were normal before having the experience of having an eating disorder, I now see and think, oh, that's not normal. Like what? The way that people, especially, and I can't speak for every culture, but I can speak for our American culture, but the way that, the way people talk about food and and just passing comments that are just so accepted, like, I don't know, just language like, oh, well, I'm eating this cookie, so cheat day, haha. And even just little things like that, I look at it and I'm like, no, you're allowed to do that without feeling like you're cheating and feeling like it's little ways that we acknowledge our feelings that we're making a bad decision. Food isn't a virtue. Yeah. It really, I mean, we've talked about guilt so much and the guilt that was surrounded in our food choices when we did those things. Food really has become, in American culture, a form of virtue signaling. 100%. Even some of the ways we talked about it before with, like, the guilt and the fear of gaining weight back after losing weight and what that might mean to people and how that might seem like a failure. It really does, even weight change seems to be some kind of indication of you're doing well or you're doing poorly. You're achieving something or you're slacking off. It is things like that that we hear all the time, constantly, that just kind of feed into what we are being told as a people group. As a... Sure. Because <laughs> what I find interesting about all of this is that we're now living in a time where people are really speaking up and being like you're fine you don't need to change Mm -hmm. and that's becoming more and more of a thing but nothing seems to be changing yeah I mean I think we talked a little bit about on the first episode, how beauty standards change and vary from culture to culture, but it doesn't necessarily stop kids from feeling overwhelmed about their body image because maybe one year being thin is in vogue and then maybe the next year being a specific kind of curvy is in vogue, but either way, you're trying to keep up with this ideal that you can't necessarily keep up with. You almost have to wait till it circles past you. So we're still in a position to feel bad or unworthy. Yeah. I think that as, at least in my own experience, as as I've tried to figure out just through a lot of trial and error what makes my body feel good uh 
recognizing, oh, that thing that I just had did not make me feel good, but that's okay because I know that this thing does make me feel good. And so this is what I'll have for lunch or, you know, and yeah. not, it doesn't make me feel good because it's healthy or because it has this many grams of protein and no sugar. It makes me feel good because it, my body likes it. Mm, yeah. And, and not likes it emotionally, likes it physically. And I think that finding those things too is so important so that you have another route to take yeah you know rather than just giving up and and then I think eventually because you can't always be on a weight loss journey (laughs) you can't you you have to eventually be in a lifestyle that is not that is that, just a good way to live. Yeah, that has no that has no goal of weight loss, that has no goal of exactly be in a lifestyle that's just a good way to live because it makes because it makes your body feel good and and you feel good. This is where I kind of want to cross over into something that maybe brings this whole set of conversations to a close in a way. I even in and this probably happened for you in a different span of time but it wasn't till end of last year beginning of this year where I'd settled back into my normal weight for a little while now and uh, I think I had a moment where I I stopped I forget what caused it so forgive me for lack of a narrative lead up to this (laughs) moment (laughs) I was thinking again about whether I wanted to lose more weight, which I do. I would like to lose weight from where I am. And I I realized with everything I've learned that all, all of a sudden I felt like trapped in a new kind of way. Mm-hmm. Now if I ever lose weight, now that I've been honest about all this stuff, and now that I've processed and healed, will I ever just be able to do that without feeling like Either that people assume there's a problem again mm. and or whether I feel like I'm acting against what I believe in some way. That you can be, like if I lose weight, does that negate the fact that I learned that that doesn't matter very much? Mm. And I was, I was thinking about that and I think that caused me to, to take stock of something else. I'm like, well, what if I didn't lose weight? What if I decide to try and I just, my body's like, nah, fam, we're here. Because <laughs> sometimes that is also the case. Your goal appearance or weight or shape or something, there is such thing as plateaus, but there is also your body kind of knows what it's good with, what mm-hmm. it considers you starving or your norm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't match up with you what you think you want. I was considering all that stuff and I just stop I'm, and I was just kind of like stop 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 supposing stop projecting what others might think or how you might feel or how you might react just where are you right now what is that what do you actually think right now if you did this and you lost weight do you actually think it would change your life and I was like no not really 
<laughs> I'd be able to wear a couple different styles of clothing that I can't wear, but would that change my life? No. And then the other thing was, well, what if you didn't lose any weight? What if this is where you're at for the rest of your life? And I think that was the first time I thought about that and was A, not overwhelmed by that idea. Mm -hmm. And B, it made me take stock of the friends I have, what they think of me, what seems to be people's first impression of me. And I was just like, oh, I think I'm likable. People like me. Yeah. I can still, I still make new friends that like me for me. What a concept. And I think that's, that's a big thing with body image in general is it's it's treated as transactional in so many places in our culture but it's also kind of you're so used to seeing the heroes of your favorite stories looking a certain way that you believe to have that experience or have that adventure or have that romance or win that competition that you need to look like that yeah or to be beloved you need to look like that. And I think that's a valuable place for anybody to start is just look at your life, look at the people who love you and why, lose that weight, go for it, or gain that weight. Who knows? That might, you know, yeah. like maybe you feel scrawny. That's a whole nother, that's a totally valid side of this spectrum that we haven't touched on at all. Yeah. But ultimately, why do you want that? What is the transaction you're hoping will occur? Mm. And I think for a very long time, the transaction I was expecting is people will like me more if I'm thinner. And so to stop and look and like actually seriously consider and acknowledge after believing for so long that I'm not likable, like not every imp first impression I make is a bad one. Can I accept that? Mm. Yeah. Can I accept that I could, I could have some of the things I wanted and look this way and they'd be just as satisfying? Yeah, I think that's... There's a lot of grace in discovering that where you're at now. <laughs> that's such a good way of putting it how you said of it always feeling transactional that if you put the effort in if I put the effort in to look this way then out of that I get the experience or the relationship or the whatever thing it is that I want I just have to pay for it in a sense and that's so not true but I think that is at its core what we as a society believe I think it's pretty fundamental to human nature for us to think that we can earn good things and that failures result in bad things that what you do makes you more or less valuable mm -hmm. And in some ways, our physical appearance, how we interact with food, has been tangled up in that in our modern Western culture. Yeah. And none of it is true. 
I don't really know where to go from there. I did make an email. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So this is our last episode, but if you guys have questions or you just want to share something, um, if you wish we had gone into more detail on A, B, or C thing, we have an email. It's mirrorlypod at gmail.com. And if we get enough questions, maybe sometime in the future, we'll do a bonus episode. We love bonus episodes. <laughs> it would actually be very interesting to just get like a series of questions, like very specific things to talk mm-hmm. on as opposed to being like, today is about this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so feel free to email us at mirrorlypod at gmail.com with any questions or feedback or if you just need to vent about one of your own experiences we're always here for that totally well Breekheim thanks for doing this with me thanks for being game when I came to you and asked you I wasn't sure if you would and I know that it takes a bit of courage to be willing to say yes even if you are in a good place so thanks for doing it with me Thank you, Kate Gray Johnson. Brie Kime. <laughs> I really appreciate that you asked me to do this with you. And, and I'm glad that we did it. Me too. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.